Behold Your King. That's the uh, series we've been examining and looking at, and uh, this is the last message in this series. However, this week we will not be looking in the Gospel of John, but rather in the book of Hebrews. So take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 7 as uh, we take a look at a message entitled Encountering Jesus from His Throne. We remember that the title of the series Behold Your King was really a mockery that was said by Pilate in John chapter 19. And uh, Jesus is taken out in the midst of the trials and all that's going on. And Pilate says to the Jewish leaders, Behold Your King. Um, As we've examined the series, we started out in the first on Good Friday by remembering our King on the cross. And then on Easter Sunday, we rejoiced and celebrated because our King was risen. And then the next week we studied and saw the story of Thomas who said, unless I see, unless I see, and the Lord revealed himself to uh, Thomas and his doubt was removed and he says, my Lord and my God, behold your king. And then last week we examined Peter and saw him on the shore as Jesus comes and, and he restores him. Our king is a restoring king and just as he was for Peter, he is for us. And regardless of what you think you may have done and how far off the path you might have gone as a follower of Jesus Christ, he desires to restore. Well, today we want to take a look at Excuse me, today we want to take a look in Hebrews and see Jesus Christ interceding before God on our behalf. The work that Christ is doing today for us as we behold our King. So I trust you've got your Bibles open. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read from His Word. And I'm going to start in verse 22, Hebrews chapter 7. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heaven. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later when the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever." Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word again, the fact that we hold it in our hands and we can be instructed from it to learn. And Father, today as we examine Jesus Christ, our intercessor, the one who stands in the gap, Father, I I pray, Lord, that we would be somewhat overwhelmed, God, as we consider the reality of what Christ has done and what he is even doing. Father, not overwhelmed in an emotional, it feels good for a moment, but overwhelmed in a way, God, that will change our heart and our spirit, our attitude, our walk. Father, as we have ears, we will hear your word, minds to understand it, but then, God, as we take hold of what the Lord Jesus Christ is even doing for us right now, we will behold our King, and we will be in awe, and God, you will change us. 
that we will walk out of here different as a result with a renewed and refreshed desire to bring glory to you in all we do and say. Take your word, do your work for your fame and your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, in that verse, in verse 25, it talks about this word intercession or intercessor. And um, we're going to see a number of pictures of how Christ did that for us. But we see that in our world all the time. We have pictures of where people need to intercede or stand in the way or mediate for us. We see it in the court system. You, you need a lawyer to stand to take the way through the system and help you with counsel. And um, we need it there. We, we see it in sports when you uh, have a guy who's a free agent and uh, they're negotiating for his contract and oftentimes there'll be a mediator that's bought in and and they will be brought in to help to bring the two sides together to get them to a conclusion and or sometimes we even see it in our relationships and we're working something through and it's not working out and we've become divided on that and we need someone to come and help us to make sense out of this. And so we see it in our daily lives, but on a spiritual plane, it's even greater because we're told that Jesus Christ, he intercedes for us. So in a moment, we want to take a look at three pictures of that. But before we do that, we want to take a look at the qualifications of the one who is our intercessor. And what makes him capable of doing this for us? And the words that we want to look at are found right in the text. Jesus Christ is described as a guarantor of a better covenant. All that was laid out in the Old Testament, all that was there and was a a precursor. It was for us to see. And as we look back, we realize how all of that was being put in place so that Jesus could fulfill it. And and he was better. He was better than that. It was a better covenant. It was a better promise that he was bringing. And so as you read through the text, there are a number of things that talk about this better covenant. The first one says that the former priests were many in numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. And so you had all of these priests and these high priests who were put into place, but what happened? Well, eventually they got old and rickety and they died. And you had to put a new priest in place because that priest or even that high priest was, was gone. But the text goes on and says he, um, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Our high priest, Jesus Christ, he lived, he died, but he rose again. And so he is our high priest forever. And it's not like, well, the priest died and we got to get a new priest. What Jesus Christ did had a forever piece to it. And the amazing part to that is it brings us to what we will learn today. It says in that text, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. This is what was needed. This is what was fitting. And then it goes on and gives some words that describe him. The first word it says is that this high priest is holy. He is holy. We're commanded to be holy. That's the picture of sanctification. That's the picture of growing up in Jesus Christ. For us, it's a process. It's a a bumpy road as we learn to follow Jesus Christ and be more like him in our sanctification. But Jesus Christ wasn't on a path to sanctification. He wasn't on a path to holiness. He was holy. He was holy. The next word it says that he was innocent. He was without sin. Uh, You can't say that. 
I can't say that, but it says he was innocent. It says that he was unstained, unstained. If you were to stop and, and do a reflection on your life and go, any stains? Any stains? Now, interesting, this morning, Jason came in with a cup of coffee and uh, spilt it on his pants and on the front pew. Um, and there's a stain. See, he's never doing that again, right? So, uh, there's a stain. None of us can say we're unstained, but Jesus Christ is unstained. That's his qualification. That's what made him the great high priest. It says in the text that he was separated from sinners. Not that he didn't mingle with the world, not that he didn't go and hang out with sinners, but their sin didn't influence him. Their sin didn't impact him. He was separated from sinners. Then it says he is exalted above the heavens. That was never said of other high priests. Then the last thing it says is he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. All of the other priests, all of the other high priests had to offer sacrifices every day because they sinned and because their sin needed to be covered by the blood. But Jesus Christ was coming to do more than just cover our sin. He was coming to take away our sin. And so they had to have an, uh, a sacrifice every day, first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. But it says in the text that Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself for us. And so picture that. Picture his qualifications. What sets Jesus Christ apart, not only from all of the other priests and the other high priests who ever lived, but what sets Jesus apart from every other system that tries to reach out and meet God? These are the things. Jesus Christ, he was qualified. Well, there are three pictures that I've seen in, in Scripture now of what Jesus Christ is doing for us from his throne. I'm sure there are more, but we're going to look at three. Uh, the first one is picture this, Christ our mediator. Christ is our mediator. Found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. There is one one mediator. Well, what was the job of a mediator? Well, the job of a mediator was to bring two opposing sides together. That was the job, to influence a disagreement between two parties so that they could come together. And Jesus Christ is our mediator. The reality is, without his working, without his work as a mediator, we are doomed. We can't get there on our own. We're separated from God, and there's nothing we can do about it. And the mediator, Jesus Christ, brings the two sides together. It means to fill the gap, to plead the cause, to reconcile the parties, to be the arbitrator, to bring two sides together. Now, if Sue and I are struggling with something and we can't figure it out and how do we come to common ground about something, um, it, usually it requires both sides moving to the center. You, you both give a little, you get a little, and you move to the center. It's not like that with God. Because the reality, God has already done everything that he will do in the mediation. God has already done his part. 
And so if in the world's view, we look at mediation as people coming together like this, well, the reality is God has already made his. We're just way out here on our own and we need to be brought to God. What did God do for us? Well, God filled the gap when he sent his son. God's already done the work of bringing us together that he can do. God did it in demonstrating his love and his mercy and his grace. He did it in the sense of meeting what the justice that was required to meet the payment for our sin in Jesus Christ. God already did all of the work and God did it with compassion for us even when we hated him. None righteous, no, not one. No man seeks after God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in that whole context, God gave his son and did everything that was required in this part of the mediation. But what about us? God has a dispute with us because of sin. And nothing we could ever do would ever be sufficient Without a mediator, we're destined to spend eternity separated from God in, in hell because our salvation is impossible without the work of Christ. In Hebrews 9.15, it says, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has, has occurred that redeems them from the transgression committed under the first covenant. And because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of the great exchange, because of what Christ did, taking our sin on himself and putting his righteousness on us, the work of the mediator is being accomplished in us. And, and what do we need to do? Well, it begins when we're outside of Christ and we come to the place of understanding, oh my goodness, look what the Lord has done. And here I am out here all by myself and I need a savior. And I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the mediator, Jesus Christ, brings the two sides together. There was a young man here last night who's in grade eight, I think, grade eight. And uh, last night he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the savior. The work of the mediator who brought the two sides together in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The text says there's one mediator, it's Jesus. We don't go to a priest to get to God. We don't pray through Mary to get to God. There's one mediator. And that mediator is Jesus Christ. Picture that in your own life. Picture what Christ has done for you. He's the mediator. Here's the second picture. Picture Jesus Christ as your advocate. Picture him as your advocate in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. The word advocate comes from the English word paraclete, but it, it means one who is called to bring two sides together. A lawyer, as it were. He is our advocate. In the legal system in Canada, in the U.S., probably around the world, unless it's a very minor offense, it's not a good idea to go into the system without an advocate. You'll just get eaten up in the system. 
You don't know all the nuances of it. You don't know the ins and outs of what to do. And, and so you need an advocate who will stand and who will plead your case. One of the most important thing in the world, your salvation, your eternal destiny, you have an advocate. You have an advocate. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he's the most qualified person for the job. If you were going into court, you would want someone who's qualified. You, would, you wouldn't want somebody who just had like a, a, a certificate in law. You probably don't want someone who has a bachelor's degree. You'd, you don't want somebody who maybe has a master's and how they call their things out, but uh, you want the person who's most qualified. And we're all about that in our world. People are always going for what's the letters you can put after your name. What's the, well, Jesus Christ, here's what his qualifications are. The righteous one. That's what it says right in the text. He is the righteous one. We have all of the standards we have in our world for what's important. And, and uh, that all gets trumped in this when you think about Jesus Christ is the, the righteous one. That was his qualification. I'm not righteous. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, my righteousnesses are like filthy rags. And Jesus Christ is the perfect advocate for us. Not only because he's qualified, but because he's the solution to the problem. When we stand before God in our guilt, our advocate stands before God and he not only represents us, but he is the answer. He opens his portfolio and lays the exhibits of Good Friday before God Almighty. The photographs of the crown of thorns, the lashing, the mocking soldier, the agony, the cross, the final cry of victory. It is finished. He is my advocate. The advocacy of Christ and the propitiation, that's the word in 1 John there, the satisfying of God's wrath, the meeting of what was required. Jesus accomplishes all of that for us. I preached from First uh, John chapter two back in 2011. And in the message, that message I read this, says this. We stand as the accused in the heavenly court before our righteous judge, God the Father. Our advocate stands up to answer the charges. He is completely guilty, your honor, in fact, he's even done worse than he's accused of, and, and now he makes full and complete confession before you. The gavel slams, and the judge asks, what should his sentence be? And our advocate answers, his sentence shall be death. He deserves the full wrath of this righteous court. All along, our accuser, Satan, is having great fun at all of this. We are guilty. We admit our guilt. And we see our punishment. But then our advocate asks to approach the bench. As he draws close to the judge, he simply says, Father, this one belongs to me. I paid his price. I took the wrath and punishment from this court that he deserves. The gavel sounds again, and the judge cries out, guilty as charged, penalty satisfied. Our accuser starts going crazy. Aren't you even going to put him in, on, probation, on probation? No, the judge shouts. The penalty has been completely paid by my son. There's nothing to put him on probation for. 
And then the judge turns to our advocate and says, son, you said this one belongs to you. I release him into your care, case closed. Jesus Christ, my advocate, not only my defense attorney, but the one who took the penalty for me. Is that your reality today? When you stand before God, do you stand before God with the hope of what Jesus Christ has done and accomplished for you? I am so thankful that one day I'll stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? And I'll say, because I'm with him. And my advocate will say, he's with me. He's with me. And that's accomplished when we come to the understanding that we're sinners separated from God and there's nothing we can do to fix it. And so we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. And it is finished. The price has been paid. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, it's simple faith. It's believing that God is who he says he is. He did what he said he would do in his son, Jesus Christ. And you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be, you will be saved. Jesus Christ, our mediator, bringing two sides together. Jesus Christ, our advocate, standing before God, representing us and also being the answer for what our need is. And then the third picture that we see is Jesus Christ, our intercessor. Jesus Christ, our intercessor. We find this uh, right in our text in verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for them. Another great verse on this is found in Romans 8, verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now, I think you can understand as you think about these words, they overlap a little bit. They're not clearly three specifically different things. They, they overlap. I, as I look at them, I understand them best as I think about the mediator bringing me in salvation to God. I see that more clearly in the picture of our advocate when we come to Christ. But Jesus Christ still acts, acts, it still acts as our mediator. He still acts as our advocate, not in a salvation way, that's done, but there's still this bringing together that needs to happen. When I fall off the wagon, there is this advocacy that still happens but the picture here now is the picture of one who intercedes for us. One who intercedes for us. Jesus Christ always lives to make intercession for those who approach God through him. I read this quote this week in one sentence. I loved it, two sentences actually. It strengthens us to know that Jesus prays for us and that he ever lives to pray for us. This is a tremendous encouragement to anyone who feels like giving up when it gets hard and when it gets difficult. And I'm not giving up because Jesus Christ, the one who paid the price for my salvation, he's interceding on my behalf. 
My confidence isn't in my own works. My confidence isn't in what I do. My confidence is in what Jesus Christ has, has done for me. And he's qualified for this as well. We saw qualifications in the text, and there are other things that Christ has demonstrated that go beyond the text or founded in the text, but he's the perfect God. He's the perfect man, and yet he didn't sin. Jesus fully understands our human experience and our temptation. He went through what we went through, and so the one who intercedes for us, he understands us. Jesus Christ was tempted in every way just like we are, and yet he didn't sin. And so we have a compassionate intercessor who prays on our behalf to the Lord. We, when we pray, we talk about we pray in Jesus' name. Why? Because, well, that's how we come to God. We, we come through Jesus Christ. He is our intercessor. He is our advocate. He is our mediator. Can you imagine the gall that it would be for us to think we could just come to God with, hey, Lord, here I am. Here I am. We have no right to be there. We have no authority to be there. But because of Jesus Christ, we come. And so we come in the name of Jesus Christ. He was tempted by Satan. He didn't sin. He lived a holy life, and then he paid a price for sin through his death on the cross so that we could have access and now he intercedes on our behalf. In 2 Peter 1.3, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us, out of, called us to his own glory and to excellence. He intercedes for us. And Jesus is presently in heaven advocating on our behalf against the accusations of Satan. Satan, the great accuser, he accuses you every day. And too often you buy what he accuses you of. Uh, sometimes we need to deal with the things that are brought to us in our sin, and we always need to deal with sin. But Satan is the great accuser. You don't deserve what you've got. You don't deserve a path to God. You don't deserve eternal life. They're all kind of true, but they're all incomplete because although I didn't deserve it, God gave it to me. He made the opportunity possible for me, and I shouldn't be sitting in my woe is me, and I deserve none of this. I, I sit in the reality of Christ's finished work, and now he intercedes on my behalf. He paid for our sin once for all on the cross. In Revelation 12, 10, it says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And Satan brings his accusation. He brings accusations to God and Jesus Christ is in the gap. He's with me. He's with me. And he brings accusations to us and we need to remember we're with him. We're with him. So Jesus' intercession on our behalf is not a matter of placating an angry God. It's not like, ah, I just got to keep God from going postal on those people. It's not like that. The work is done. 
And God sees us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of continually chanting prayers on our behalf before God, although he does that. It means that Jesus continually represents us before the Father as we draw near to him. It means that Jesus defends us against the accusations of the evil one. Because Jesus Christ ever lives to make intercession for those who call on the name of the Lord. What an amazing picture. What a hope we have. What I can't do, Jesus Christ has already done. And so Jesus Christ, on his throne, a church, behold your king. Behold your king, Jesus. Behold him as the mediator who brought the two sides together. Behold him as the advocate, your representative. But your representative is the one who paid the price. Behold your advocate. And behold your king, whoever lives to make intercession for you. When I need help, I don't know which way to turn. Who do I cry to? I, I cry to the Lord. The Bible says in Romans, the working of the Holy Spirit in all this as well is, is that the Spirit of God is, is making clear utterances that we can't even understand and we're not sure, but when it gets to the throne room of heaven, it's clear. When we don't know what to pray, we pray. There's intercession before God for us. And when we sin, we come to God and it's right because of our intercessor, our mediator, our advocate, Jesus Christ. When I don't know what to do. I cry to God who is my intercessor. And Jesus Christ leads and guides and directs and helps. Behold your king. Behold your king. Well, so what? So what? Well, we started this series with the mockery by Pilate, and then we beheld our king who was dead, hanging on a cross. What kind of a king is that? Oh, behold your king, Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead, proving he was who he said he was. He did what he said he would do. We have the receipt in our hand that the work was complete. What kind of a king is that? And then we have the king who faces Thomas face to face and shows him the marks and all of the doubts and the wondering. And Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God, what kind of a king is that? And then behold your king as he restores Peter, the one who said, if everybody else walks away from you, Lord, I'll never walk away from you. And he denies the Lord three times. And Jesus Christ restores him. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? What did Jesus want? He didn't say to him, will you not do that? You're never gonna do that again, right, Peter? He never says, you promised me you'll never sin. You promised me you'll never mess up again. You promised me you make a covenant. He never did any of that. He just said, Peter, do you love me? 
Behold your king who wants your heart. And then behold your king today. The one who is in heaven. Your advocate, your mediator, the intercessor. And the only one who is possibly qualified to do those things and be that person. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What an amazing hope we have. What an amazing king on the throne we have. What difference will it make in your life as you serve your king Jesus Christ this week? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and the challenge of it. We thank you for the reality, Lord, that we were separated from you. And in the picture we've seen in this whole Easter series and then coming to this, even in this, Jesus Christ is our mediator, bringing the sides together. Jesus Christ is our advocate, Father, standing before you, but he is the answer to our problem. And now Jesus Christ ever lives to make intercession for us, God. That is awesome. That's amazing hope. And so, Lord, we come with great confidence because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Father, I think of the person in the room who's never trusted you, who's never turned in repentance and faith, who's trying to make it on their own. Lord, would you reveal to them the emptiness of their path? Would you reveal to them the destruction that that will lead them to? And would you bring them to the place of faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone? For your fame, for your glory, God, that they true might see Christ on the throne and respond in faith and follow Christ. God, work in each of us the thing you've laid on our heart, the failure we've had, the sin we've had, the doubt we've had. And as you did with Thomas, as you did with Peter, God, restore to us the joy, the joy of our salvation, the joy of our walk with you. Do this work for your fame and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.